Hey Martin. Yeah, important to make you all moderators because if I fall out and the room was closed and I cannot reopen it again. So I have two moderators today, Toby and Kim. Toby, if, I know that you behave, so I make you a moderator as well. And the same for... I wouldn't be too sure, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then the main, the main speaker has messed up the room. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Marco is here. We can start right away because it's now 11. We will have a recording. Sure. And uh, for me, always, the content is more important than the learning of the people who are here. We are usually not targeting large, 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 large audiences. And we are quite happy among ourselves. So, Kim, please unmute your microphone. Can you say something? The unmute button is in the lower right corner on the Android phone and on the is a, is a little microphone. Can you hear me? Yes, yep. we hear you yes. loud and clearly. Let's Very start. Very nice. Then. We, uh, we, we don't want to lose time because I have two precious experts here. Today is Kim and Toby. Toby is uh, a long-standing, experienced uh, uh, um, technician inventor polymath who is used to who even sold uh, chatbots for websites with his team and uh, i remember i spoke with you a few years back about that's right applying and i, I still remember today it wasn't i was in a supermarket and you gave me a 30 minutes lesson which i will never <laughs> forget in my lifetime because it was so insightful and and with really hands-on tips on how you should then use the, the chatbot uh, because the, the goal was I, I wanted someone, a concierge from my website with a few hundred articles. So if, if people are there and looking for contents uh, to, to guide them to the right uh, article. And uh, yeah, what I understood is it depends all on the training of the chatbot. That's what I've taken with me from at, at the time. But surely now we also have some leaps in technology and that's where Kim comes in because Kim is a professor for natural language language processing at the Université Saclay in Paris, the biggest, largest university of Europe, Kim, right? Or not? And, uh, no, it's not really big. It's rather good, but not, we're trying to be small and good rather. Aha, uh -huh. okay. Yeah, so um, I would say... Um, the people who are here, the C is Porti from India, Joe from the US, 
who's a, a, a talented uh, uh, engineer. And, and then we have David, a patent attorney colleague, who, who talks like somebody from Scotland, but he says he's no longer from Scotland, married with a Chinese wife, Kim. That is you have in common. Kim is also married with a Chinese wife. Rich is from Chicago and is a long-standing expert when it is about uh, managing innovation. And uh, yeah, I believe that's just a nice round. We have Michael Ostrovsky coming in and Hoyrul, uh, our procurement manager. Then Carl, a, a powerlifter like myself from the Blue Ridge Mountains area in the east of the US, southeast. But please, Toby and Kim, um, the stage is yours. Um, please entertain us. <laughs> I can ask questions if you get very boring. So, Kim, do you want to go first? Um, yeah, well, well, I'm not really used to how these things work on Clubhouse. So maybe, Martin, you want to ask a question, then we can yes. dive Kim, right so into it. Yes, Kim, I catch you today on the on the wrong foot. I just heard that Google lost 100 million in value because they have a, a chatbot based on the GPT technology, and you will explain later what that is, because they did a... Um, some some customer demonstration in public and it went wrong. So what went wrong? Well, the, the there was just a the fact was not right. They just asked something who who photographed the first exoplanet, and it was a bit U.S. centric, saying it was the NASA, but actually it was uh, a European center. It's not. I mean, it's not that important, I guess. But to, that this came just up in the presentation made it look less good than what uh, the chat GPT has been doing before. So people were um, disappointed, I assume. Yeah, I can. That was the first thing, because actually the, the one who introduced me well, to the, take... to the chat, chat GPT was, was you, right? And then I started to experiment and then doing other things. And what I found is it's very unreliable to, to, to work with ChatGPT when it is about facts and retrieving facts. But ChatGPT is very good when it is about converting a text in one format into another format. Let's say I found if you say, explain this, comp this very difficult legal text to a 12-year-old. And the outcome would be something that can really be understood by anybody on the street. And, and in my firm, we are using that. I'm, I'm very honest about for replying to emails, inquiries, and also to... So, so we are using that actively in order to improve our language, make it more simple. And uh, Toby, yeah, I mean, or, or Kim, is it... Is this... Why Why is it so? So why is ChatGPT so bad when it comes to facts? And why is it so good when it is about uh, making something that looks nice? Well, at first I wouldn't... I wouldn't really agree that it's really bad in facts. It's bad in some facts. It's not reliable, but it's really good in most facts, actually. So historic questions, technical questions, questions about code, um, uh, it's quite impressive. So uh, um, the question is always uh, the reliability, but uh, this is a problem, a more general problem, that if you go in the Internet and if you use Google to look something up, you have the same problem of finding some half-truth and fake news and whatever you find. So it's a, a, it's just, and this is what GPT-3 has been trained on. And so it got some something wrong. And sometimes it just uh, combined things in the wrong way. So I think it's, um, 
it's not necessarily worse than looking uh, looking things up on Google because, I mean, the only advantage is you can somehow decide what the really the weak point of, of the system today is that it doesn't cite its sources. So you cannot say, okay, I trust it because I like to trust the source. And this is something that Google is attempting to do to, to somehow counter this uh, this uh, this project uh, of OpenAI by saying, okay, we're going to do the same thing, but we're going to give for each sentence we, we provide, we give links to the exact web pages where this has been found. Then you can verify for yourself if you if you want, or if you don't, then you just keep it this way and you have the same problem as before. You just don't know exactly how reliable the results are. Well, I, I think just, just to add to that, I mean, we, we had access in one of my portfolio companies, this is the chatbot company, Martin, that you referred to earlier, um, UIB in Singapore, we had access to this um, chat GPT in form of OpenAI's uh, GPT-3 library for well over a year now. And um, we have actually tested it thoroughly. And I, I think, you know, when it comes to facts, there are really three components of, of, of facts. At least this is the way I structure it in my human mind, right? There, there are facts that you know because you have, um, you have some personal experience with it. It's not, not a theory. I mean, it's like you have very personal, uh, subjective uh, experience. Ideally, objectively, you have some validation uh, from a larger crowd as well. And then there is theory, um, um, which is like in the internet, um, you read something and you can get it fact-checked one way or the other. You might be right, you might be wrong. Um, the fact-checker might be right, <laughs> he or she might be wrong. Who the heck today knows, right? Um, so the second, uh, that second block at the end of the day um, is, is essentially what what ChatGPT today is fed with historically. Now, sooner or later, this is going to be real time. But anyway, whoever programs um, an AI or sort of an AI um, also has, has a human side and has a certain bias, whether that's politically, uh, uh, you know, whether that is uh, religiously, whether that is just a mood at the end of the day. Nobody is perfectly neutral and nobody is all-knowing. So at the end of the day, there will always be some form of impact um, on the AI, as long as it's developed by humans, at least, um, on, on whether, whether it is, um, how can I put it nicely, uh, whether it's truly, truly objective or not. Um, so <clears throat> what we came up with, and this is my third point, uh, in, in experimenting this one year with, uh, with ChatGPT's uh, uh, you know, B2B so sort of solution, um, is we realized that if, if you point uh, ChatGPT into a specific space, it is far more likely to give you correct answers. And let me give you an example. If today I would say, um, give me that rubber, you know, uh, depending where in the world you are and which English you have, you know, sort of grown up with, you might think of uh, a rubber being a way, you know, to clean a pencil from a piece of paper. You might think of it as being a condom or you might actually think of it being like, you know, uh, a chain of auto houses in Croatia uh, changing your, your tires, or you might be an actual rubber plantation somewhere. So my point is, if you ask something with regards to rubber, to ChatGPT, without telling it a context, um, you know, it's very easy to fool it, or at least you think you have fooled it. But a human is no different, right? I mean, when, when I tell 
a friend in the US of, of a rubber, he thinks of economy. If I tell someone in India, he thinks of the, of the pencil example. So where I'm coming from with, with this example is um, we realized in this one year that whenever we submit a question to, to uh, chat GPT, we do it in the frame of a... We basically tell it to look in its own brain in a certain area so that we get a contextual reply to that question, which is more likely correct. And, and, and this has helped us tremendously, we call it our mind space, um, to actually make better use of the tool. Does that make sense? Yes, for me, it makes complete sense. And it's, it's a bit like if you give more context, like every human um, will also uh, give better answers. And so you have to set up this, uh, this context. And this is also called prompt tuning, right? That you have to ask the right questions in the right way and you get better results in specific ways. So people are working on this now to actually automatize this to somehow use a fixed language model and then generate with a possibly different model, different prompts, and then find the best combination of words that actually gives you the desired results. And it has the advantage of making use of a really big language model without fine-tuning is what is really expensive. So, uh, yeah, so in a sense, it's the same thing. You give the right context, the right words that the system knows what it's supposed to answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it makes a huge difference. I mean, you know, why do we expect an AI to do something that a human couldn't necessarily, right? I mean, yeah. Exactly, yes. Yeah, we have tried this a lot over the past week, right, Kim, together. Um, uh, when it comes to applying the, the, the GPT uh, technology to drafting patents. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit like you ask a student, we give him two, two A4 pages to read, and then you ask him after 10 minutes, now I ask you a question about, in, in the, about what I just gave you to read. And that, that's not much intelligent, I would say. It's, it's a bit, um, the intelligence is there that you, within a very short time, that the GPT technology can answer questions based on what you just gave it to read. So, uh, I, I wouldn't even talk about intelligence in that way. Is 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 more uh, is the, the the local training data that you create? Is it helpful to answer the question that you're asking after that? And um, that, that 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 confirms also what I think that there is no artificial intelligence because uh, when when you ask the chat GPT to create something, then uh, very often nonsense is the result. Well, I, I don't really understand. I mean, I think it's a common, uh, historically a common behavior that humans consider everything that the machine can do as non-important or trivial or non-intelligent. So we have gotten used to uh, calculators that compute uh, numbers much faster than us, and then we decide that it's not intelligent, even though before we thought that kids are smart when they can multiply two numbers very quickly. So, and I think now <laughs> the yeah. same thing yeah, yeah. May, may happen, that we are saying that the machine um, can can do this. So by definition, it's not intelligent because we don't want to call a machine intelligence. But I think that's somehow tautological. I think, of course, these, these machines are intelligent to a certain degree. And I think the subject should and has to be 
what the consequences are of intelligent machines and not just talk us out of it and saying, no, no, it's not intelligent. I mean, re uh, resuming a text of two pages, every school child can do that and that's not intelligent. Well, firstly, no, not every school child can do it. And secondly, um, even if every school child can do it, they are intelligent school children and it's intelligence. I mean, uh, and has consequences for our world if the machines can do that. I think the, the key point I would like to raise is, you know, taking an existing content and, and, and rewriting it, um, wh whether that is, you know, from an already written text or from a database, from a structured or non-structured, uh, uh, for that matter, format, and, and putting this into, into a new light, like into a new style, right? Um, um, or into a new... How can I say in a more jovial uh, uh, sound, sounding uh, poetry? Let's put it this way, right? But without losing the essence of uh, of of the of the of the factual content, probably a machine will be far more better at this than than a human. And and, and the reason I say this is you can almost through algorithms uh, mathematically create what is perceived as being jovial, as lighthearted, as, you know, as serious by simply inserting some words or changing the grammar. I mean, at the end of the day, the languages which have, you know, very, very strong and clear grammar, uh, you know, they, it, grammar is like mathematics, you know, for languages in a way, right? So, I mean, <clears throat> that's why I think machines will be extremely good at that. Now, Try isn't, to the, take... isn't this yeah, isn't this a yeah. contradiction? Sorry to interrupt you because when you yeah, talk yeah, about grammar, grammar, that that's a bit rule based. And what I understood is that the GPT technology is just not rule based, but still deterministic, but in a different way. Right. All right. I, I'm not I'm not disagreeing to that. All I'm saying is the the, the natural affinity between artificial intelligence and generally, I'm just talking not about the technical elements of it, just on the, on the philosophical closeness of the subject matter, right? The, 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 the affiliate AI and a content is there but portrayed in different colors is, is very close. But just try to find a completely new point of view. This is, this is where it gets hard. A completely new point of view, a completely new way to interpret something or a completely new how can i say i mean completely new point of view that was not there before to say a, uh, just a poem for for uh, for example that is going to be very hard for ah, you po to do poem well Kim. <laughs> yes so i i I, I i well ah, i made yeah. At some point, we worked together, Martin and me, and he had to head uh, off to um, to his workout. And I told him, well, uh, ask ChatGPT to write a motivational poem for your weightlifting. And he he did it, and I think uh, it worked worked so well. He was, no, Martin, you were really strong this day because you got <laughs> such great motivation from this wonderful poem. No, actually, But, um, it was, the, the result was it was a poem. Yes, it was a poem. And I'm, I'm thinking about... Where did this machine get the poem from? So and, well, and as you it. say, nah, that's what you say. But maybe it found it. Well, you can Google it. Google three, four words, and you will see that it does not exist on the internet. Yeah. So I, I think it didn't find yeah. it. It combined some stuff to yes. make it. Yes. I think it combined some stuff to make it. And 
and it, maybe it, it has some idea of, of you know, <laughs> when it combines A with B with C, well, what is the likelihood of, of people liking this or perhaps even this making sense, right? But that's not, look, let, let's, let's, in my, I, I'm a musician, first of all. I compose music, you know, I, ah. I'm kind of a re renaissance man, old school guy, right? I mean, so I, I would like to take a, a stab at this from a philosophical point of view. To me, every matter, whether it's content or whether it's an object or, or whether it's a company or a building, behind everything, there is some form of, you could call it inspiration or you could call it spirit or you could call it, you know, the emotions that people have when creating something of, of, of value, right? Now, I think we can agree that at this juncture, at least as, as much as we can say, an AI does not feel any emotion while it is creating something. Well, we can debate that at, at, at maybe in a, different, in a different clubhouse. But the, the point that I would like to raise is if, if, if a human actually feels an emotion, it's, it's, it's real, it's there. And somehow um, it enters its creation. My big question mark is, Maybe there are people who don't sense that behind an AI-created work, whether this is there or not. And other people, they very much do sense it. And from a purely, purely from an artistic point of view, maybe it's very hard to distinguish between these two um, eventually in the future because it is like an invisible world. How are we able to tell, right? But I do think that there will be a time where if somebody can prove it was an authentic human who created something, it might have a different price tag on the art that is being sold than if it was a machine. Hmm. That goes deep, Toby, because uh, you're talking with a patent attorney and we are always discussing is a certain invention that is characterized by... Uh, number of features or elements um, it's like a filter you create a, a claim a patent claim that you, you claim this is all 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 objects that fall under this filter are protected by my monopoly and then the question is always because in this world there is no no true invention because all the inventions that I see they're always potentially combinations of what exists out there and then the question is whether or not the com combination that you do between two earlier disclosures is obvious or not. And the, the, the main, the basic criteria for that is, was there a motivation to combine the two? And if not, this is the threshold for inventiveness in patents law. And the, yep. probably the same applies to melodies. I don't know who is the... Why is one an artwork, one one music piece an artwork, and the other one is not? That comes back to the spirit behind, right? I mean, at the end of the day, and how do you want to check check on this from a from a from a pure um, patent or, or legal point of view? I mean, I I, I have personally uh, written nineteen patent families, so I'm also and and I do advise a lot of inventors on on IP. That's what I'm doing in Switzerland now professionally. But uh, putting that aside, I, I totally agree with, with, uh, with the challenge here, right? All I'm saying um, is, is, not, is not on the, on the jurisdiction or the, or the legal side, um, but more on the, I can see an audience 
that is willing to bid for a pure AI made piece of art. Let's put it this way. And I can also see an audience that is willing to bid on a piece of art that is 100% authentic human. And, and that, is, I mean, how to prove it? That's a different story. I mean, right, because, you know, these worlds overlap. But, uh, you know, the, even if the ideas are, are, are matched in the mind, but the, the pure execution, um, and then, then it comes, then some interesting questions come along, like, did you, when you wrote this poem, did you use uh, ChatGPT for any of the two lines <laughs> out of the 200, you know? <laughs> okay. So, anyway. Yeah. yeah, or yeah, if you draft patterns, did you use any ChatGPT to 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 draft a paragraph about an advantage of a certain pattern mm. claim? I did not, but have you checked out PatentPal? Yeah, of course. Is 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 you you know the, the the Kim and I we are part of the the robot robotic patent drafting family in this world. We had a conference in September, a world conference, mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. were all there. And Jack Xu, the owner or the, the founder of Patent Pell, is our friend. So we, I chat with him on, uh, not daily, but maybe weekly or every two weeks or so. Yes. So what course. do you think of it? I, I, I like, I mean, of course, you're a little bit biased, but that's fine. <laughs> I just, I mean, when you why, see why, where why it is today, I mean, positively, what, what I, I hope. Now, what, what I can tell you is the following. Currently, yeah, yeah. Um, um, last week, we, we have drafted... Kim and I, we have drafted two patents together, mm -hmm. right? And one of the two patents, I gave the, 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 the input data, the same input data to Jack Xu, the patent pal. Mm -hmm. And we can compare the outcome. And what mm -hmm. do I think mm -hmm. of it? Mm -hmm. Yes, it works. <laughs> it, it, would give you, it would give you something that looks like a US patent. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's... yeah, I, I think uh, the the main point uh, to take away here is to come back to the to combining the two questions of uh, being able to draft new patterns and creating symphonies is that the result as such is undistinguishable, and uh, then the question is what to do with it. I mean, people say, "Well, I heard it," but for example, there have been many experiments about experimental uh, or machine-generated music. It's probably uh, Toby you know about this, and also classical music, and they played this to people, telling not telling them that uh, it was. They said it was made by some I don't know um, uh, obscure Renaissance <laughs> I don't know um, mm -hmm. writer, mm -hmm. and the, and then later they told them. And uh, first they asked them which they preferred and so on. And very often the results are very simple, have been, has been reproduced many times. People cannot distinguish the music, uh, machine-generated music from uh, or generated composing uh, from the, the human-generated composing, but they are really angry afterwards when you tell them. Yes. So they feel that like they have been cheated. But mm -hmm. that's about the spirit thing we talked about, and it gets a bit it gets a bit weird when you when you, when you talk about this, right? Because somehow, they, why do they feel cheated? Because they like the music first. So, and I think similar question applies they to feel them. Threatened. To, I think they also. Sorry to interrupt you, but I think it's not only the cheating is not. Uh, it, it, that's one thing. I mean, nobody likes you know to be fooled. But I think there is also that element of shit. If it can do this, what else can it do? <laughs> yes, maybe, maybe it's just, just like some fear. Maybe replace and, myself, uh, right? So <laughs> exactly, yes, yes. there's some some basic fear popping up here. So yeah. and and with patterns, I think it's the same thing. I I personally think that uh, that as Martin just said, that 
all ideas are combinations of existing ideas uh, to some extent. And I personally believe that the space of ideas is finite for different reasons I can explain to you. But so I think that this space is getting uh, less and less uh, uh, empty. So there's less and less ideas to, to have simply by uh, for, for reasons like combinatorics. I mean, if you can put the idea in, in I don't know, uh, one page, then these pages, many, many of these pages have been written. So they're less available. And um, the same as paintings. If you have a painting and you say, okay, uh, I can take it to a, whatever resolution of pixels, a thousand by 2000 pixels, then you know how many paintings are possible. If you also have a measure of how, what the distance between two paintings is, if it's just the same, uh, very small difference, a human, human eye cannot perceive it should be considered the same. So if you, if you consider ah, this, Kim, um, Kim uh, I, yes. I, I want to, I want to kill you for this, but finish first and then I kill you. Yes, but I, I, I think that, um, well, I don't know. Kill me first and then we come back. I mean, okay. <laughs> what, what is, what's wrong what I said? Mm. Uh, uh, it's wrong because I come from the area of anti-counterfeiting. And uh, I know the tools that are used there. And you know the QR codes and the QR codes, they are also finite. There's a finite number of QR codes. QR codes are the, the square ones, yeah, right? Yes. And what, what, what the experts told me that, that they can generate more QR codes based on the current technologies than there are atoms in our whole, is it universe or is it in the whole whatever exists out there? So you can yes, label but it, it, it doesn't atom. contradict what I just said. I mean, maybe there are still many ideas left to have. But, yes, uh, many. It's, it, yes, but uh, it's not infinite. That's important. I, I mean, even the idea of creativity, I mean, no, we're not really talking about chatbots anymore. We're talking about uh, machine creativity, right? And I, I really like this field. But um, I, I really think that, uh, create, I mean, the term creativity is something very recent. It was from the 19th century. Before, people did not believe that there was anything like creativity. And many cultures today don't believe it. So uh, this idea that one human creates like ex nihilo, something that has not existed before, is a very like 200 years old idea that has not really um, stood the test of time. Before, there people thought about muses doing this or mm, yes, um, yes. some. And so it's a new idea. And I think it's, it's time to get over with it because I think that... Um, um, it, this is like some idealization of some creator that does something. And I mean, now these new tools show us, DALI also for paintings and, um, and of course, the chat GPT for, for words, for texts, show us that many of these human um, capacities uh, are actually computable. And uh, we we don't it's we don't need this creative um, this little light bulb uh, coming from above from the muses or from inside or from wherever it just it's a combination of existing ideas that gives new ideas and these ideas are also patentable and uh, we don't need this idea of spirit there I think it doesn't it doesn't bring us forward to just to bring up some bit uh, of a discussion uh, where we don't agree, maybe. No, 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 no. I mean, yeah. you're entirely right. When I say spirit, then the first thing that comes to my mind is religious literature, right? Because um, the, the, in, in all religions, you would say that there are some, or actually many, actually I know only one that has that. The, the Bible is, is inspired. This is what, what they say. And when you read the Bible and you... Have, you, you have you have the gist of it, then you would would realize what is Bible and what is not, 
you can you can see it immediately from the from the from the text there but that's why i didn't want to dive into this spirit thing because i i i would already be happy if i find a good concierge for my website or a good pattern robot for draft <laughs> right I, i don't i don't even want to the, to turn all the people into religious f uh, followers of what what i what i say although it would be nice right um Let, let's let's now look at the technology we have started before toby brought up grammar which is clearly rule based and um, i'm following uh, language uh, processing for a very long time maybe 30 years if, if it's enough I, uh, the, the first translation programs up and as a patent attorney you always work with translations and then there were uh, translations today are much better than 30 years ago of course especially the automatic ones And also there's the GPT solution. And when we draft our, our patterns with a cut-in, then there are parts that are rule-based and others that are not. So uh, who is the more competent of you two when it is about the technology? Hmm. I don't I know. know. <laughs> Toby. Kim, you go first. You go first. Well, <laughs> well uh, um, just so, uh, maybe I can talk a little bit about myself because I've been a mathematician by trade and I have uh, studied mathematics and I moved over to linguistics and I worked on language, um, on grammar, first on rule-based grammar and now uh, more and more on uh, language model-based grammar. So uh, I think that's already an interesting question when you say that grammar is necessarily rule-based. Um, well, yes. I think... There's, it's not so clear. I think that we like to think of it this way. And we would, if you want to learn a new language and you want to know about what, what the order of the words is and whether there's a case system or not. Um, and these kind of things, these are, of course, rules. But all of these rules have so many exceptions that the best encoding would probably not be rule-based. But it's always like we like to think of it as, as rule-based. And then we, we try to pack or group the, the, the observations in the, that we have in a, in a language into packages that are human size so that the humans can understand it. But it's necessarily a simplification of what's really going on. And that's the problem that, that, I mean, look at history of machine translation. We are already a step further than in actually, uh, in generation. So before we try to, to build rules, I mean, I've been working in the end of 1990s in the first speech-to-speech uh, 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 -speech, uh, machine translation system built at the German Center of um, Artificial Intelligence in Saarbrücken. And we built a system that's completely rule-based, that generated, that analyzed, that generated, and so on. And all these, everything we did, and many other people did, um, is completely, I mean, overtaken By, 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 by large measures by these new language models. So machine translation has changed and it has changed by ignoring all rules. And, um, so there is, if you look at DeepL, it's currently the best system. This, uh, this doesn't use any rules and, um, all is based on training on different types of training models and, um, and they, um, uh, And so uh, it's not so clear. I mean, why is the translation better if we ignore rules? Probably because the rules had too many exceptions to actually encode them well by human. We cannot deal with this anymore. And the machines do it better by just giving them lots of translated data and they just learn this. So, no, I don't think that uh, language is actually rule-based. We can give abstractions, for, I mean, like, like simplifications of language that is rule-based, but... Um, 
This is maybe only useful for grammarians and for second language learners. But if you want to do any system that works, then you don't need these rules anymore. Toby? <clears throat> really nothing much to add. I, I, I think, you know, un unless we're developing a completely new language. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, that's the reason why you two are here, because I'm a little patent attorney with some experience in programming. And I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this technology coming up and now becoming very tangible for my own job. And uh, we have this initiative. We founded the, the, the robotic patent drafting family, international. And, and, <laughs> and now this technology is, is so at hand that, that you, it, it, it improves. Uh, I mean, you can turn a technician into a very good patent attorney, even by, by just giving him the, the today's chat GPT for rewording what he tries to describe in his own words, because they, uh, this chat GPT is already much better than a typical junior college uh, student when it is about writing a text that can be understood by others. Yes, I um, think this is really the interesting question. The interesting yeah. question is for this, for the patent uh, attorneys. I mean, I, I see all attorneys, actually, even, I mean, all lawyers, actually, as being translators. They translate something into legalese, into some language that fits the requirements of the, uh, of the law. And, uh, and now, if this translation, for example, you get an invention disclosure or a scientific article, a preprint or something, and you translate this into a patent application, are you doing anything actually more than a translator does? And if the answer is no, then let's look at what happened to translators in the last years. They didn't disappear, hmm. but they are completely machine-based uh, how they do. They, they post-edit um, machine translation. That's the main job of translation. I think, I mean, I think I'm not um, putting myself too much uh, danger if I predict that something similar will happen quite quickly to patent attorneys. Yes. <laughs> it says the patent attorney here in the round. Yes, definitely. To the average patent attorneys. But what, what um, uh, now... If, if I can add a very specific field that is really my favorite is about patenting algorithms, right? The, 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 um, the, I mean, in Germany, the requirement for, for any patented uh, uh, subject matter is that it's technical. Technical means that you can achieve something without the interaction of a human. So in, 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 in very simple words, you can patent something if it falls on your foot. So if if yeah, if you if if it falls on your foot, if is then in in certain then it is certainly uh, basically patentable if it's novel and inventive over the prior art. So having said this, if you have an algorithm, then you must make this algorithm somehow technical. And technical means in, in that way that every jurisdiction has developed their own criteria. And what I know from my experience over the past now 30 years this year is that the patent attorney needs to become creative in order to turn an algorithm into something that is patentable because you need to, f to, to fit it into a, into a scheme or into a structure 
that enables the patent examiner to tick a certain number of boxes convincingly. And, and that is not something that can easily be done by a machine because the machine doesn't know about convincingly. The machine assumes, as you have said, oh, this might work, so I try my best here. And if it's not convincing, okay, then I try next time. But the, the, the difference in, in patents, when you talk about patenting, you cannot afford as a patent attorney that you, you give it 30 or 300 or 3,000 tries. You expect it to come up with something that is pretty close to 100%. And uh, okay. I can't see that. And the same applies. Martin? I think Martin, we lost him. Hello, Martin? Uh, Can you hear me? Yeah, but actually, uh, I'll jump in here. I, I agree with Martin because one of the things that I did when I, when I moved to Switzerland, um, you know, I, I, I did exactly that. I mean, I mean, focusing on helping inventors, basically putting, putting their ideas in a way that a, it's almost like a translation layer from a creative translation layer. Let me put this. It's not a translation layer. It's more like it involves business modeling. It involves, uh, you know, uh, this, how, how to describe something um, uh, that's in your head, not into legalese, but into, into something that then someone can take and make into, into a, 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 a legal language that is, that is acceptable for it to be filed as a patent. So actually, I think the niche here from a, from a patent attorney's or, or, or generally IP point of view is, is actually preparing a possible inventor or a possible invention or innovation um, before it would go to, uh, to a lawyer or to a, a AI system to write out the patent. That's where the, where the real beauty of almost the decomposition of our intellectual property lies. At, le at least that's my, my, my experience. Uh, yeah, happy to be um, uh, listening to, to other experiences. Well, I think that we should not underestimate what a translator does. I think translating is also highly creative because you have to fit the story of one context into another where you can actually uh, understand some uh, something if you translate i know it, a story from one uh, context to another you have to choose the right words you have to uh, restructure the stories and it's a creativity with some constraints and what martin just said is he said it's very creative but then he said you have to check boxes in the end well this sounds to me like a I mean, I, I don't want to take the term creative away. I'm just saying it's, it, it sounds to me like something you can train a machine on. Whether already, I mean, we're trying to, we're trying to do this, for example, for ideas to which extent they are patentable. And then we can try once we know it's patentable. I mean, I completely agree with Toby that it's, um, there's a different job that is a business direction. What is good to patent? What would be a good direction to develop and all this stuff? That's exciting questions, but, um, and it's also work of the patent attorney. And maybe this will remain, and then only the writing process will be automatized. But I'm not absolutely convinced that this is the hardest part. It's probably the most fun part, the most interesting part. But I'm not absolutely convinced that this is going to be the, the part that will be preserved from automation. I, 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 think, I think the key, key message is there are two parts that at the moment are being one 
you know i i think the entire process of of coming up say with a patent right um so far it is it is actually two steps that are clubbed under one roof at the end of the day and i i can definitely see how these are being split into you know an area where we where we say okay we need a human maybe with some help of an ai but we need a human in this part for the second part it's actually almost better if an ai does it because ai will definitely not miss to tick all the boxes exactly and that's actually the, the selling point of patent where we're working at is that we say we take the the boring part out of patenting and we leave you with the uh Uh, with the interesting choices. And uh, in a sense that also Martin just said, it depends on the patent lawyers. Some will still subsist, a bit like translators, for example. I know poetry translators are probably not using DeepL, but um, most translators use it today. And so maybe there's also some, I know, different classes of translators and there's some different class of attorneys, but all of them at some point, if they want to give legal advice to their clients, then um, they have to decide whether it's a good idea to patent something and what is the business development, what is the, the choice of what should be patented, what should be hidden. And this, these are probably harder questions than the actual writing process. So I think the writing process, at least that's what we're working on, should be automatized because I think no attorney enjoys putting reference numerals into their texts and, um, and, uh, and checking whether all the words have been introduced in the right uh, definition section and all this stuff. I think that's, I think no one is actually proud of being able to do this well, but these choices that Toby mentioned that is this business by advice uh, and in the, in the invention industry, inventive industry, that is something that it's probably harder to automatize, but it's probably also uh, be machine aided sometime soon, I think. Uh, <laughs> Rich would disagree, and I can tell you why. Because um, turning an innovation into something that willing uh, uh, that people are willing to pay money for is an entirely different level. It's not. It's not about. Uh, has nothing to do with innovating. An idea is cheap, and and uh, the problem is how do you sell it to the people? And we are talking here about a sub problem of a. Problem of a problem of a problem. We are talking here, how can, uh, how can we simplify drafting patents? Because a patent alone is not, is not a value. It has, the value is zero unless you do what is described and, and, and protected by the patent. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, people always forget that. And in the innovative process, the intellectual property, namely how to protect what you have just conceived as a product from being copied by the competition. The IP part is the least important one, says the patent attorney. The most important one is not the conception, but the most important one is finding out what the people, the market wants. Without that component, uh, you can scrap your entire innovation part. Because if people don't buy what you have just invented, then you can also not just not do it. There's, a, there's the same outcome. Different, by the way, from um, writing music or an, an, another artwork. Why is it different? I didn't get this. Because, I mean, music is also about being able to sell it, right? No, music is about... Um, uh, <laughs> music is about... Uh, <laughs> Toby, 
um, what is music about? About the spirit, right? This is where <laughs> no, you started. No, no, no. I would, I would. So, so music. This is a. Let me take this one after after doing music for so many years. So music is to different people different things. First of all, so um, and that's why the answer is probably not as straightforward as you like. And it is not about uh, spirit. It is more about emotion, right? I mean, um, you know, everybody in the world has emotions, and so even some. I would say some parts which I would not consider music. Um, to other people, it stirs up some some emotions, and to them, it's music, right? To me, it's just noise. But uh, and this has nothing to do with culture or taste. It's it's the emotion inside the mu music that that matters. And why does it uplift us, uh, or that, why does it depress us? These are all fair questions uh, alongside. Uh, the, the question of music, but music is probably the most universal language at the same time <laughs> of, of stirring up different emotions in different people. Um, you know, it's probably the most universal language there is, you know, because you, you literally, I mean, an, an, an A uh, is an A in America, in China, in, you know, wherever it is, wherever it is right? I mean, it's, it's, it's quite universal, right? Um, and, and, but, you know, at the end, probably, by the way, this is one of the reasons why, you know, when they send all these, um, you know, human history and, and human accomplishments out in space with the hope that uh, some form of E.T. one day contacts us, that they send different types of music, you know, whether it's a Mozart or a Beatles or whatever. Maybe maybe somebody feels, you know, impressed by one and others are, uh, are feeling impressed by others. But cutting a long story short, I think, Music with music, it, there is something in the music which either touches your you or it does not. So it's about capturing that audience, and and I have yet to see honestly. I ha I mean, people talk about AI generated music. Let me come back to the AI element of this and and move a little bit away from the intellectual property part. But the reality is, I tried so many AI music generators, and they are crap. You send me one, I tell you. Um, and, and I agree that people are disappointed when they figure out, you know, oh, an AI made this. But there is no, and excuse me, we used the word spirit, now I'm going to use the word soul. Uh, but it's so soulless, this music. And maybe, maybe people have an antenna for this, or they don't. I don't know. Um, maybe people are just different. But I composed three pieces in the last three years, um, totally about, I would say, 30, 40 minutes, every note handwritten. And I know why I write this note. And I know why I write it in this place. I know why I put this phrasing. I know all these things. Now, you t I, I just cannot believe, and maybe this is my ego, but I cannot believe that, you know, eventually AI knows the same. So <clears throat> I don't know whether it will be able to capture an audience from an emotional point of view. Um, yeah, I mean, as, as it would be, you know, with pieces that some of the old masters composed. Wow, Tobi, this was, uh, I, should, I should get this typed because the, the last paragraphs uh, is just <coughs> what all the patent attorneys carry inside. You said, I, I, I've, I've written three, I translated into my language. I've mm -hmm. written three patents over the past three years. Each one of the patents has about 80 pages, more or less. 
And each word in the patent applications that I've written has its place. And I know why it's there. And you cannot replace it with another word because I'm so convinced that this is the right word there at this place. And and if you asked 100 patent attorneys, 90 patent attorneys would just sign that statement because they say, oh, yeah, that's true for me. And and because I'm the good... And, and that also explains what I've seen or what I've heard at the last conference. Uh, the, the plurality of, of patent attorneys think that their own work is a masterpiece and, and an artwork, while what the others do is only crap. That's the... <clears throat> That's the sentiment in the in the patent industry, and <laughs> that's exactly what, what what you described. Yeah, but and but let me let me add something to this. Now, if you would take another composer, and I would show this person my piece, <laughs> yes, she would basically say, um, "I totally disagree." With you. <laughs> <laughs> they would they would not. Yeah. You see what I mean? They would absolutely not agree. Uh, I mean, they would even perhaps not even. I, I don't know. I mean, we are getting a little bit sidetracked here, I guess. But uh, no, yeah. that, that goes to the very core. I tell you, because the problem is not so much will artificial intelligence once replace us humans or not. The question is, will we be able to use the artificial energy, uh, artificial intelligence, to just take away all those boring tasks that we don't like? Like as as Kim said, uh, putting reference numerals into uh, eighty-page text without making a mistake. So, so let, me, let, let me give you that example with the piece that I composed. So generally when I compose, I first can play before I put it in, in, you know, in, in an actual script in, into, the, into the music, which you can see and follow on the screen. It's in, my, it's in my head, it's in my fingers, it's in my feeling. So I can actually play the whole thing. But, you know, it takes me another, whatever, two weeks, uh, part-time at least, you know, to write the bloody thing down. Now, but I'm already playing it on a, on a MIDI-enabled keyboard. And I tell you what, the, there is no AI, at the moment at least, I mean, be, because, you know, sometimes a quarter note is not a quarter note. It's probably a quarter note plus, you know, just a little bit more. Or you use the pedal, uh, left pedal, right pedal. It's, it's basically, it's dumb as a rock when you, when you try to get the music that you're playing onto sheet music. It's really stupid. If an AI could actually do that um, as an assist, that would be extremely helpful to, to a lot of composers around the world. I mean, they would they'd probably save, you know, 30 yeah. to 50 percent of their time. But there's that's, no solution currently. Yeah, but that's what we are currently doing in the patents world. And 20 years ago, we started to do that in the translators world. And I can tell you 20 years down the road, if you contribute to that uh, development, there will be something that would help you to, to take away the the sweat work that, that you don't like. I'm, I'm very sure. Or oh, Kim? Um, yeah, I have so many things uh, I could say. There's many really interesting ideas uh, coming up here. I mean, I, I think that, uh, of course, I, I agree that the next step will be, a, as Toby said, AI helped composition. But uh, just give you one keyword there. That's a big thing in AI research now. It's called explainable AI. That means we want the system actually to explain why they did something. So, mm -hmm. for example, for classifiers, it's a very classical task. So, for example, you you ask um, you give photos to the to the machine, ask them to identify cats and dogs or whatever, and um, and then you ask the system, okay, why do you say that's a cat? And one way of 
of course, one way we could just to explain it by words, but one simple way is, for example, show me the zone that made you think this is a cat. What is the most distinctive zone which actually helped you distinguish it? And then if it shows you the wrong area, you probably, it probably learned some, 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 some bias. So, for example, the cats were always photographed in the grass and the dogs uh, on leashes or something, and that's why it identified this way. So, explainable AI is actually trying to to make the decisions that have been uh, made by the um, uh, by the AI system explainable. And this is really important if we want to use AI in critical tasks like. Uh, like uh, uh, like uh, cars driving, uh, self-driving cars, or um, even some intelligent decisions on in jurisdictions and so on. So it's a um, an, an, uh, law. So it's a really big question of um, to know whether the system, how the system decided, and whether it decided on a good basis or on a bad basis. And so, for example, you could really well imagine that um, uh, for composers, it tells you. Well, here you put this here because that and that. And I think this is not science fiction. I mean, this sounds like this and alternative would sound like this. We could put this into words. But another thing I made me think of what you said is that something we had in Catan is actually a problem is like our business model is we also propose an editor that catches errors in your, in your patent application and uh, Martin explained to to us that no patent lawyer wants this. No patent lawyer even thinks they can make errors. And then to to try to sell them a tool that catches the errors is completely nons, nonsensical. So it would be the same to a composer to tell them, well, you should put in C and not an A. It would sound better. I think Toy would be offended. And again, again, in uh, parallelism between between Martin and and Toby, Toby, here, Toby that, now that, please play the millennial. Be offended. The language hurt you. <laughs> you. Kim hurt your feelings, right? No, I'm too <laughs> relaxed. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. No problem. Bring it on. No, no. I just said already. I mean, what what would you like a system that not only. Uh, helps you, but even criticizes you and says, hey, this A just doesn't sound right. Put a C here. Yeah, I would love that. I mean, look, I mean, <clears throat> and it, it depends. I mean, look, you, here's the thing. As a, let's put it as a composer, right? As an inventor slash composer. But generally, these types of people, they have extremely strong oppo opon opinions, about themselves or what they do. <laughs> you know, it, you, you don't do these things without having a strong opinion about something, right? Because you can never materialize it. You know, you, you lose your focus and uh, or something or someone or whatever di disturbs or disrupts you and, 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 you know, your whole thing is gone. So, so you need to be pretty firm in, in, in your mind or mindset. Okay. So, uh, the good thing is you're quite stable. So if an AI comes along and says you should do this, uh, actually you look at it and say, ah, maybe. Well, what an idiot. You know, <laughs> you can look at it from, from both angles. But hmm. there, there, there are, if somebody is truly inspired, he doesn't have the ego uh, to be offended by something or someone. If somebody is very, very, very strong-minded, not saying strongly inspired, just strong-minded. He will have a strong ego, but it will very it will be very easy for that person to dismiss that without being offended as well. So to me, I mean, to me, um, unless this disturbs my flow, I would I wouldn't mind that at all. I think the problem is 
Does it disturb my flow? And what will happen is the, the software or whatever tool at the end of the day it is will, will basically say, would you like to get more of those types of notifications? You know, <laughs> and you're like, no, no, no. Oh, yeah, yes, please. You know, and it learns from, you know, what, what you want to know and what you don't want to know. I think that's, that's how I look at it. Yeah, that also because Kim, you're always very harsh with me. When I say something, then this is not cast in stone. So uh, please take it with a grain of salt whenever I do something. So it's not about we patent attorneys do not like to get hints, and and you also see because we have now fed the system with patent claims of other patent attorneys, and when we talk about the patent claims, we clearly see that they also agree that this was a mistake. And then, of course, would, if, if, you, if you see that this is a mistake, of course, would you like to have someone who tells you, hey, this is questionable what you're doing. Are you really wanting to do this? Of course. And, uh, but of course, not in my own <clears throat> patent application, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, people, we are reaching the end of the hour. We cut off shop. That's part of our format because we have people here who need to go back to work. This is international. We have people from uh, New Zealand until California and in all sorts of time zones and not everybody can afford to spend more than an hour. And uh, that's why I cut it here. Thank you so much, Kim and Toby. We didn't, get, yeah, we didn't get even 10% uh, as deep as I wanted. Um, I believe we need to repeat that. And... Uh, uh, let me think about that, uh, how, how we can get this done. Because you two are also very under, under, under high time constraints, and I see that this is, is very difficult. But I thank you anyway in the name of everyone who here. I, I, I think this was a very enjoyable discussion to listen, and uh, thank you so much, and see you next week. Yes, very inspiring. Thank you for the yes, invitation. Thank you. Thank yes, you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Yes, Martin. Thank bye you, Martin. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Evening, thanks.